Domine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Grant us peace, O Lord, in our days, for there is no other who will fight for us, save but you, our God. The following is a reading from St. Louis-Marie de Montfort's The True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin. Chapter 1. The Necessity of Devotion to the Blessed Virgin. Article 2. Consequences. And I'll make a note here, if you haven't listened to the previous episode or the introduction, you might want to go back and listen to that first, because this is a continuation. First Consequence. Mary is the queen of our hearts. We must evidently conclude from what I have just said, firstly, that Mary has received from God a far-reaching dominion over the souls of the elect. Otherwise, she could not make in them her dwelling place as God the Father has ordered her to do, nor as their mother form, nourish, and bring them forth to eternal life, nor have them for her heritage and possession forming them in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ in them, nor place the roots of her virtues in their hearts and be the inseparable companion of the Holy Ghost in all his workings of grace. None of these things, I repeat, could she do unless she had right and dominion over their souls by a singular grace of the Most High, who, having given her power over his only begotten and natural son, has also given her power over his adopted children, not only over their bodies, which would be but little, but also over their souls. Mary is the queen of heaven and earth by grace, and Jesus is their king by nature and by conquest. Now just as the kingdom of Jesus Christ is chiefly in the heart or interior of man, according to these words, the kingdom of God is within you, even so the kingdom of our blessed lady is chiefly in the interior of man that is in his soul. And it is chiefly in souls that she is more glorified with her Son than in all visible creatures, and with the saints we call her the Queen of our hearts. Second Consequence Mary is necessary to men to attain their final end. Secondly, we must conclude that as the Blessed Virgin is necessary to God, that is to say, hypothetically necessary, because he so willed it, she is far more necessary to men in the attainment of their last end. Consequently, devotion to her is not to be confused with devotion to the other saints, as if it were not more necessary and simply a matter of superrogation. Devotion to our Blessed Lady is necessary to all for salvation. The pious and learned Suarez of the Company of Je Jesus, the devout and erudite Justice Lipsius, Doctor of Louvain, and many others have established beyond opposition that devotion to our Blessed Lady is necessary for salvation. This they prove from the teaching of the Fathers, notably St. Augustine, St. Ephraim, Deacon of Edessa, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, St. Germanus of Constantinople, St. John Damascene, St. Anselm, St. Bernard, St. Bernardine, St. Thomas, and St. Bonaventure. Further, they show that even in the opinion of Ocalampiodus and other heretics, a lack of esteem and love for Mary is an infallible sign of reprobation, whilst to be truly and completely devoted to her is an infallible sign of predestination. The types and texts of the Old and New Testament prove this, the opinions and examples of the saints confirm it. Reason and experience teach and demonstrate it. Even the devil and his wicked angels, driven by the strength of truth, have been frequently obliged against their will to admit it. 
For brevity's sake, I shall quote but one of the many passages which I have collected from the fathers and doctors of the Church in support of this. Tibi devotum esse est arma quedam salutis que Deus histat quos vult salvos fieri. To have devotion to thee, O blessed Virgin, is an arm of salvation which God gives to those whom he wishes to save, says St. John Damascene. I could here bring forward many stories which prove the same truth among them. Number one, that which is related in the Chronicles of St. Francis of how he saw in an ecstasy an immense ladder reaching to heaven, at the top of which was our Blessed Lady, and by which he was told we must go up to heaven. Number two, that which is related in the Chronicles of St. Dominic, near Carcassonne, where St. Dominic was preaching the rosary, there was an unfortunate heretic possessed by 15,000 devils. These evil spirits were compelled at the command of Our Lady to confess, to their confusion, many great and consoling truths concerning devotion to her, and with such force and clarity that, if we have any devotion to her, we cannot, without shedding tears of joy, read this authentic story and the unwilling homage that the devil paid to devotion to Our Lady. Number two. Devotion to Our Lady is even more necessary to those who are called to a special perfection. If devotion to the Most Blessed Virgin is necessary to all men, merely to work out their salvation, it is even more so to those who are called to a special perfection. I do not think that anyone can acquire intimate union with our Lord in perfect fidelity to the Holy Ghost without a very close union with the Most Blessed Virgin and a great dependence on her aid. Mary alone found grace with God without the help of any other creature. Since then, all who have found grace with God have done so through her. All who are still to come will find it through her. She was full of grace when she was greeted by the Archangel Gabriel, and she was superabundantly filled with grace by the Holy Ghost when he overshadowed her. In this twofold plentitude, she so increased from day to day, from moment to moment, that she has reached an immense and inconceivable degree of grace, so much so that the Most High has made her the sole custodian of his treasures, the unique dispensatrix of his graces, that she may ennoble, raise, and enrich whomsoever she wishes, put on the narrow path to heaven whomsoever she wishes, bring through the narrow gate of life in spite of all obstacles, and give the royal throne, crown, and scepter to whomsoever she wishes. Jesus is everywhere and always the fruit and the son of Mary, and Mary is everywhere the genuine tree which bears the fruit of life and the true mother who produces it. To Mary alone God gave the keys of the cellars of divine love, the power to enter the most sublime and secret ways of perfection, and the power to bring others into these ways. Mary alone gives to the miserable children of faithless Eve entry into the earthly paradise, there to walk pleasantly with God, to be safely hidden from their enemies, to feed with delight on the fruit of the trees of life and knowledge of good and evil, without fear of death, there to drink copiously of the heavenly waters of that beauteous fountain which gushes there with such abundance, or rather, as she is herself the earthly paradise, that virgin and blessed earth from which sinful Adam and Eve were driven forth, she admits only those she pleases in order to make them saints. All the rich among the people, to make use of the words of the Holy Ghost, according to the explanation of St. Bernard, all the rich among the people will entreat 
thy countenance from age to age, particularly as the world draws to its close, that is to say, the greatest saints, those souls richest in grace and virtue, will be the most persistent in praying to our Blessed Lady, and having her ever-present as their perfect model to be imitated, and as their powerful aid to assist them. I have said that this would come to pass, particularly as the world draws to its close, and indeed soon. For the Most High and His Blessed Mother are to raise up for themselves great saints, who will as much surpass in sanctity most other saints, as the cedars of Lebanon tower above little shrubs, as has been revealed to a saintly soul whose life has been written by Monsieur de Renti. The saintly soul was Marie de Velez, of whom St. John Eudes was the spiritual director. Montfort, like other pious men of his time, may have thought that the end of the world was not far off. More probably, however, he meant that this would come to pass especially at the end of the world and would begin soon. And indeed, the century which followed his own was noted for a great increase in devotion to Our Lady. These great souls, filled with grace and zeal, will be chosen to stand against the enemies of God, raging on all sides. They will be outstandingly devoted to the Blessed Virgin, illuminated by her light, nourished with her milk, led by her spirit, supported by her arm, and sheltered beneath her protection, so that whilst with the one hand they will fight, with the other they will build. With the one hand they will fight, overcome and crush heretics in their heresies, schismatics in their schisms, idolaters in their idolatries, sinners in their wickedness. With the other hand they will build the temple of the true Solomon and the mystical city of God, which are none other than the most blessed virgin called by the Holy Fathers the Temple of Solomon and the city of God. By word and example they will make all men truly devoted to her, and though this will make numerous enemies, it will also bring them many victories and procure much glory for God alone. This was revealed by God to St. Vincent Ferrer, the outstanding apostle of the century, as he has sufficiently pointed out in one of his works. This seems also to have been foretold by the Holy Ghost in the 58th Psalm. Here are the words, Et sciant quia dominus dominatibur Jacob, et finium terre, convertantur ad vesperas, et famen, Patientur ut canes, et circuibunt civitatem. And they shall know that God will rule Jacob in all the ends of the earth. They shall return at evening and shall suffer hunger like dogs and shall go round about the city looking for food. This city round which men will roam at the end of the world, seeking conversion and appeasement of the hunger they feel for justice, is the most blessed virgin called by the Holy Ghost, the City of God. Number three, devotion to our Blessed Lady will be more particularly necessary in the letter times. Point A, a special role of Mary in the letter times. By Mary was the salvation of the world begun, and by Mary it must be consummated. Mary scarcely appeared in the first coming of Christ, so that men insufficiently instructed and enlightened concerning the person of her Son, might not leave the path of truth by attaching themselves too strongly and too grossly to her. This would apparently have happened if she had been known, because of the wondrous charms which the Most High had bestowed even on her outward appearance. So true is this that St. Dennis the Areopagite tells us in his writings that when he saw her, he would have taken her for a divinity because of her secret charms and incomparable beauty, had not his firm faith taught him the contrary. 
But in the second coming of Jesus Christ, Mary must be made known and revealed by the Holy Ghost, so that through her, Jesus Christ may be known, loved, and served. The reasons which moved the Holy Ghost to hide his spouse during her life and to reveal her but very little since the preaching of the gospel exist no longer. God then wishes to reveal and make known Mary the masterpiece of his hands in these latter times. Number one, because she hid herself in this world and in her deep humility rated herself lower than the dust, having obtained from God, his apostles, and his evangelists the favor of not being made known. Number two, because as Mary is the masterpiece of God's hands, as much here below by grace is in heaven by glory, he wishes to be glorified and praised because of her by those who are on earth. Number three, as she is the dawn which precedes and discloses Jesus Christ, the Son of Justice, she must be known and seen that Jesus Christ may be known and seen. Number four, as she was the way by which Jesus Christ first came to us, she will be the way by which he will come the second time, though not in the same manner. Number five, as she is the sure means, the straight and immaculate way to go to Jesus and to find him perfectly, it is through her that souls who are to blossom forth in sanctity must find him. Whosoever will find Mary will find life. Proverbs 8.35 That is, Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14.6 But Mary cannot be found without search. You cannot seek for what you do not know, for you neither seek nor desire a thing unknown. It is imperative, therefore, that Mary should be more known than ever, for the better understanding and the greater glory of the most blessed Trinity. Number six, in these latter times, Mary must more than ever shine forth in mercy, in power, and in grace. In mercy that she may lead back and lovingly receive poor sinners and wanderers who are to be converted and returned to the Catholic Church. In power against the enemies of God, idolaters, schismatics, Mahometans, Jews, and hardened and pious men who will rise in terrible revolt, seeking to seduce and bring down, by promises and threats, all who oppose them. And finally, she must shine forth in grace to animate and support the valiant soldiers and faithful servants of Jesus Christ who fight for his interest. Number seven. Finally, Mary must be as terrible as an army in battle array to the devil and his followers, particularly in the lighter times. It may be noted that in our days when the devil is renewing all his efforts in organizing the legions of his ministers in the world, we also witness an unprecedented increase in devotion to Our Lady. For the devil, knowing full well what that he has little time, less than ever, to damn souls, redoubles every day his efforts and his attacks. He will soon give rise to cruel persecutions and lay terrible snares for the faithful servants and true children of Mary, whom he finds more difficult to overcome than the rest. It is chiefly in reference to these last cruel persecutions of the devil, daily increasing until the reign of the Antichrist, that we should understand the first and outstanding prophecy and curse of God uttered against the serpent in the earthly paradise. It is opportune to explain it here, for the glory of the most blessed virgin, for the salvation of her children, and the confusion of the devil. Inimicitias ponam inter te et mulierdem et sementum et semen ilius, ipsa conteret caput tuum et tu insidiabaris chalcaneo eos. I will put enmities between thee and the woman, 
and thy seed and her seed. She shall cross thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. Genesis 3.15 God has made and set up only one enmity, but it is irreconcilable, lasting and increasing even to the end. And that enmity is between Mary, his worthy mother, and the devil, between her children and servants, and the children and followers of Lucifer. Thus the most terrible en enemy that God has raised up against Satan is Mary, his holy mother. From the time of the earthly paradise, though she existed then only in his mind, he gave her such hatred of this accursed enemy of God, such skill in exposing the malice of the ancient serpent, such strength to overcome, cast down and crush this proud rebel, that he fears her not only more than all angels and men, but in a certain sense more than God himself. This does not mean that the anger, hatred, and power of God are not infinitely greater than those of Mary, for her perfections are limited. But Satan fears her more than God because, firstly, in his pride, he suffers infinitely more for being conquered and punished by a small and humble handmaid of God. Her humility humiliates him more than the power of God. Secondly, because God has given Mary such power over the evil spirits that, as they themselves have often unwillingly admitted through the mouths of the possessed, they fear but one of her sighs for a soul more than the prayers of all the saints, and but one of her threats more than all their other torments. What Lucifer lost by pride, Mary won by humility. What Eve damned and lost by disobedience, Mary saved by obedience. Eve, by obeying the serpent, lost with herself her children and delivered them into his power. Mary, by her perfect fidelity to God, saved with herself all her children and servants and consecrated them to his divine majesty. God has put not only enmity, but enmities, not only between Mary and Satan, but between her race and his race. That is, God has put enmities, antipathies, and secret hatreds between the true children and servants of our Blessed Lady and the children and slaves of the devil. They have no love for each other. There is no interior agreement between them. The children of Belial, the slaves of Satan, the lovers of this world, for it is all one and the same thing, have always persecuted and will persecute more than ever those who belong to the Blessed Virgin. Just as Cain of old persecuted his brother Abel and Esau, his brother Jacob, who are types of the reprobate and the predestinate. But the humble Mary will always be victorious over this proud serpent, so strikingly that she will even crush his head, the seed of his pride. She will always unmask his serpent's cunning. She will expose his infernal traps. She will scatter to the winds his devilish counsels, and to the end of time will safeguard her faithful servants from his cruel claw. But Mary's mastery of hell will shine forth especially in the latter times, when Satan will lie in wait for her heel, that is, for her humble slaves and her poor children, whom she will rouse to war against him. In the eyes of the world they will be little and poor, and like the heel they will be lowly in the eyes of all, downtrodden and persecuted, as is the heel by the other members of the body. But to compensate this, they will be rich in the grace of God, abundantly bestowed on them by Mary. By their sanctity they will be great and exalted before God. By their lively zeal they will be superior to all creatures, and so strongly will they be upheld by divine assistance, that with the lowliness of their heel in union with Mary, they will crush the head of Satan and bring victory to Jesus Christ.
Point B, the Apostles of the Latter Times. Finally, God wishes his blessed mother to be now more known, more loved, and more honored than she ever has been. This will doubtless come to pass if, with the grace and light of the Holy Ghost, the predestinate enter into the interior and perfect practice, which I shall later unfold. Then will they see clearly, as much as faith allows, that beautiful star of the sea, and under her guidance will come safely to harbor, in spite of storms and pirates. They will perceive the grandeurs of the, this queen, and will consecrate themselves entirely to her service, as subjects and slaves of love. They will taste of her sweetness and maternal goodness, and like beloved children, will love her tenderly. They will acknowledge her plentitude of mercy, and the need in which they stand of her help. In all things, they will have recourse to her as their dear advocate and mediatrix with Jesus Christ. They will realize that she is the easiest, the shortest, the most perfect means of approaching Jesus Christ, and will surrender themselves to her, soul and body, without reserve, in order to belong entirely to Jesus Christ. But who will be these servants, these slaves, these children of Mary? They will be a burning fire, ministers of the Lord, who will enkindle everywhere the fires of divine love. They will be sicut sagiate in manu potentis, sharp arrows in the strong hands of Mary wherewith to transfix her enemies. They will be the children of Levi, purified by the fire of great tribulation and closely joined to the Lord, carrying the gold of love in their hearts, the incense of prayer in their mind, the myrrh of mortification in their body, bringing everywhere the good odor of Jesus Christ to the poor and the little, but the odor of death to the great, the rich, and the proud worldlings. They will be thundering clouds flying through the air at the least breath of the Holy Ghost, attached to nothing, astonished at nothing, troubled at nothing. They will show forth the reign of God's word and of life eternal. They will thunder against sin. They will storm against the world. They will strike down the devil and his followers, and for life or for death, they will pierce through and through with the two-edged sword of God's word, all those to whom they are sent on behalf of the Most High. They will be true apostles of the latter times to whom the Lord of hosts will give speech and strength to work wonders and carry off glorious spoil from his enemies. They will sleep without gold or silver, and what is more important, without worry, in the midst of other priests, ecclesiastics, and clerics, inter medics cleros. And yet they will have the silver wings of the dove to go wherever the Holy Ghost calls them, filled with the pure intention of the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Where they have preached, they will leave only the gold of charity, which is the fulfillment of the whole law. Lastly, we know they will be true disciples of Jesus Christ, walking in the steps of his poverty, his humility, his contempt of the world, and his charity, teaching the straight way of God in pure truth, according to the Holy Gospel, and not according to the maxims of the world. Without worrying about anyone, without favoring anyone, without sparring, heeding, or fearing any mortal, however powerful he may be. In their mouths they will have the double-edged sword of the word of God, on their shoulders will be the blood-stained standard of the cross, in their right hand the crucifix, in their left the rosary, on their hearts the sacred names of Jesus and Mary, and in their whole behavior the modesty and mortification of Jesus Christ. Such are the great men who are to come, fashioned by Mary at the command of the Most High, in order to extend his empire over that of the ungodly, the idolaters, and the Mahometans. But when and how will this be done? God alone knows.
For our part, we must be silent. We must pray, sigh, and wait. Expectans, expectavi. In nomine Patris et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen.